Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Film for Fans podcast, your home for movie news, reviews, movie fan views. This is the podcast from movie fans for movie fans. I am your host, Ryan Dunlevy, joined by my co-host, Rob Dunham. What's up? Ah, we've got an excellent show. This is going to be a Bond-heavy theme episode tonight as Bond debuts. Early showings are already happening. And this is going to be fun. Uh, So we're going to hear a lot of Bond talk. Uh, We're going to talk about some box office results as there was another superhero movie that did very, very well. Uh, And of course, we will do our watch list. All right, Rob, let's get it started. Uh, So we're going to start off with box office results. And the big news from the box office was Venom. Venom takes over the number one spot in the box office, having an excellent first weekend at 90 million and uh, we'll come back to that in a second so venom takes number one and 90 million adam's family two in its first weekend did 17.3 million shang chi finally gets dethroned at 6.1 million but that 6.1 million was enough to cross the 200 million dollar threshold in domestic box office, which is a big milestone. Um, Many Saints of Newark did 4.7, and Dear Evan Hansen did 2.5 million in its second week in the box office. Uh, so, Rob, what do you make of the box office results? I have to admit, I think I was slightly surprised Venom did as much as it did, even though the first one did. Uh, or not dissimilar number um, that was pre-pandemic. So I wasn't really certain how this would go if it was really that much of a draw, but apparently Tom Hardy and Venom are that much of a draw because <laughs> it did really, really well. I think Yeah. Um, probably better than they would have even expected it to do. So, yeah, I'll save a little bit of my breakdown of Venom for, for our watch list, but um I think the the big results for Venom were due in part to two things. I think one, the quality of the first movie. I think the first movie surprised. I wasn't that excited about the first movie, but when I saw it, it actually it was it was a really good movie. It was much, much better than I anticipated. So I think the strength of the first movie got people excited about the second movie. Also, I think people knew that Venom was going to end up in the MCU now. And so it becomes a Marvel movie, a true Marvel movie at this point. So I think those are two factors. Um, But once, I mean, this actually did better. The second movie did better in the box office than the first one did pre pandemic, which is, which is pretty remarkable. And it set the new uh, pandemic record beating black widow out for its first um, for showing. So, um, seems clear to me that people will go to the box office for a big movie. Mm-hmm. And this is where, uh, Venom debuted only in theaters, whereas Black Widow did the, the simultaneous release thing. Yeah. You have to bear in mind with Black Widow that you, if you include the simultaneous release numbers, I think it was well, like 60, another $60 million. Another 60 million. Yeah. There, so mm-hmm. that would be added if you were con- taking that into consideration. So yeah. I guess technically it's did better than Venom still, but this is the best uh, purely box office number that we've had for an opening weekend so far. Yeah. During this time. Mm-hmm. 
And I think this record will last all of one week. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think Venom's record will last all of one week. Um, but it is encouraging. It's encouraging results that people will go see big movies. While some of the down box office stuff uh, still hasn't returned to normal levels, I think the big releases, I think it's shown the big releases, if you look, if you let them in theaters, will do well. And I think we yeah, see that with Shang-Chi crossing 200 million as well. Yeah, and you've seen already with just the international numbers from Bond that it looks like, like you said, it'll be taking this spot pretty soon. Yes, and we'll talk about that in a second. Anything else about the previous box office results? Uh, I, I don't, I don't think so. I think we hit the main things there. Yeah. All right. So opening this week, uh, we'll spend the majority of the time on the big release, uh, "No Time Plan. to Die." Lamb, the big lamb, release lamb. Uh, but I did want to mention the lamb. It's not going to be a huge release. It's another A24 Studios release, which they've been known for putting out very intriguing um slash disturbing movies. Yeah, in, in the midsummer, past. I'm looking at you. You know, um, it's kind of horror, but not all of them are horror. It's they have a really unique, uh, unique feel to it, and lamb is. No doubt. Have you seen a trailer for this movie? I have not. It is disturbing. <laughs> it, it is like a couple who are out in the woods and they're kind of treating a lamb as an actual child. And it gets really, really weird, really, really fast. <laughs> it's it's apparently a, what they're saying about it is that is very disturbing and very creepy. And Based on the trailer I saw, that is has to be a hundred percent true. I mean, this is a weird, weird film. Um, Nomi Rapace, I still mm-hmm. I have no idea how to pronounce her name. I need to know. <laughs> uh, Nomi Rapace, the Swedish actress, uh, who's been who did the um, the girl in the dragon tattoo, the Swedish version. She's also been in a number of American movies as well, Prometheus, and um, um. Sherlock Holmes, Game of Shadows, amongst others. Uh, so she's a pretty well-known actress. But this this movie looks bizarre. And so if you are into if you're into the kind of a twenty four uh, realm of, of of theater and film, this is this is definitely one for you. So if you're in the mood to be a little bit disturbed, Lamb is your is your movie. I'm always in the mood for a little disruption, so I'm sure that <laughs> I will. I might not see it in the theater, but I'm sure I will see it at some point. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to No Time to Die. No Time to Die comes out this week. And based on early box office results from international, this movie is going to be huge. Um, over $100 million so far in international releases. Over $100 million in international releases. Um, so that is something that is pretty fantastic. Um, so that's going to be the main thing. It's out in IMAX. It's out in regular theaters. Um, we'll save some of our comments when we get to this, but now we'll, we'll move into the bond centric part of the podcast for this week. Um, and what we started a couple weeks ago, sorry, we were not with you last week. Uh, schedules just did not allow it. Uh, but we want to continue what we started la- uh, two podcasts or last podcast for two weeks ago is we were breaking down our favorite scenes from the Daniel Craig Bond movies. 
Uh, in the previous episode, we broke down Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace. And we're going to continue today by breaking down our favorite scenes from Skyfall and Spectre. So let's move on to Skyfall. This, this movie, there's a lot to talk about with Skyfall. So Rob, I'll let you begin. Favorite scenes from Skyfall. Every scene. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's so true. Um, but the, I guess the first one that stuck out to me as I was thinking through was, um, well, first of all, I really like how Skyfall, maybe more than any other Bond movie, uses a whole bunch of different settings and uses them all effectively. That's kind of been a Bond thing, but I think Skyfall did it the best. So you go from like a city to Scotland to um, London to Macau. Like there's just all kinds of places that he goes. And each place is used effectively, in my opinion. Um, The island with Javier Bardem's Mm -hmm. mastermind character is another one. Uh, So my my first thought as I was thinking about it, was that the scene at the end, the Scottish Highlands, like mm. where he's driving out there and then it gets dark and the f- castle and the fire and just the intensity of all this stuff happening in a confined space, but in the middle of this huge, like empty open space, like that contrast, I thought they did a really good job of establishing mm-hmm. that. Like he was kind of alone out there, but at the same time, he's got all this stuff happening in this little tiny area this like one manor out there in the middle of the highlands and it's just a really really effective sequence like the whole last half hour of the movie yeah yeah absolutely it is a fitting setting for the uh the conclusion of a movie it really is it was it was very well done uh for me uh the first one that stands out to me is the shanghai scene the scenes in shanghai I thought the the setting of Shanghai in that movie is one of the most beautifully shot scenes I have ever seen in a movie. It is unbelievable. From the moment he arrives in Shanghai, you you just get this calm smoothness and every single piece of it is told by the visuals. I don't think there's if I'm remembering I don't know if there's a single word actually spoken in the entire scene of Shanghai. Every single piece of it is is shown by the visuals. And they do this kind of duotone layover where all of it is lit by ambient light and a usually a specific color. You have a black versus a specific color. So he shows up initially and he's driving in the vehicle and there's this purple glow from underneath the bridge. And so everything is lit with this like purple haze and this purple glow. And then he breaks into, he breaks into the office and he's hanging from the elevator and you get this like expansive glass high rise setting. And then the fight scene between him and the other assassin, which is entirely lit by this kind of grayish blue light coming off of the billboard from the opposing building is just spectacular. Um, Half of it's done in shadow. Half of the fight is done in shadow. Or you see like that prominent color washing across half a face. It's just, it's so spectacular and visually engaging. Uh, There's really, 
I mean, it's just fantastic. And even like the scene where he's just waiting for something to happen, he's in a rooftop pool overlooking uh, Shanghai. It's just, it's, it's incredible. It's so, so well done. And every single bit of it's told visually. I really like also, we mentioned earlier, the villain's island where Mm. he's planning all his stuff and just the, initial view of all these computers hooked up and stuff (laughs) is just like just seeing the sheer madness of uh javier redem's character in that moment is all is a pretty impressive thing to me like i i just like i said i like how every single scene and setting is used to tell the story it's not just reliant on like you said not just reliant on words to tell you what's going on. They did a really good job in this movie of giving you the concept of what's happening just by what you're looking at. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's where movie telling really does its best because it is a visual medium. It is a visual medium. And so being able to use that and advance a story just by the use of visuals is really fantastic. Um, I have to mention the Macau scene. Uh, the Macau scene is another just incredibly beautifully shot scene. He arrives in Macau and he's being escorted to the casino in a boat surrounded by floating lanterns. And it it just incorporates the Asian theme so, so well. And, and the stunning transformation of whereas the light was very blue in the previous Shanghai scene, this light is very warm. And very the yellows and oranges and browns, the tones of this. And again, everything was was lit in such a way that it emphasized those specific color schemes. And um, the casino they were in was has was like remarkably um, reminiscent of, of classic Asian architecture and just gives you this feel, this visual visceral feel. And then the way they used that, the way they used that setting as part of the scenes, especially like he falls into, they fall into the, was a Gila monster pit or something like that. Mm -hmm. And using, using some of that as part of the way the scene progresses, really fantastic. I agree. Like I said, like I said, I think every scene in this movie qualifies. Yeah. It's really, really good. Uh, One other thing of note. The third Daniel Craig movie makes the first appearance of Q. Hmm. Q did not appear in any of the movies, which further emphasizes the differences between the Daniel Craig movies and the the era previously, where there was so much of the movies in the old uh, old Bonds were about the gadgets. Um, And it was the Bond uh, movies of Daniel Craig are much more hands on. And we see that just by the fact that Q doesn't even make an appearance until the third movie. And even mm-hmm. then, there's that scene where he just gives him a gun and a radio. <laughs> and yeah. I just look at him and like, it's not exactly Christmas, is it? <laughs> uh, um, so it's, it's just, it's very cool. And it emphasizes the difference between these movies and the other ones. All right, let's move on to Spectre. Rob, what are your favorite scenes in Spectre? So uh, I think Spectre is like, 95% forgettable <laughs> because I like I could not remember most of what happened in the movie. I probably need to watch it again just because 
I've said this before. I felt like Spectre was very much like a color by number James Bond movie. Mm-hmm. Like you, you could almost tell exactly what was going to happen every single scene. And uh, when you've had so many movies that have had success and you relied somewhat on that formula, I can understand why that would happen, but it was disappointing to me. Mm-hmm. And what made it even more disappointing to me is that I, my, my belief, my opinion is that the opening scene of Spectre, the one shot in Mexico City, is the best scene in any James Bond movie ever. Hmm. And the fact that it was followed by almost two hours of stuff I can't remember is very disappointing <laughs> to me because I just think that, that scene is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Where he's followed, They're following him through the parade and then up the elevator and then on the rooftop, uh, eventually to the helicopter. Just this whole sequence is fascinating to watch. And I just love the concept of a one-shot mm-hmm. scene to begin with. And it's just done incredibly effectively uh, in this movie. And the black and white all over the place does a really good job of helping to tell that story. And it's um, it's just like James Bond is the best, mm-hmm. in my opinion. And I, I wish the rest of the movie had lived up to that. Because after watching that opening scene, I was really excited <laughs> for the movie. And then it just seemed to go downhill from there. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And like just the visceral nature of of the bones and that bones theme and just that constant like death theme that was going on through that was really, really so well done. Yeah. Um, For me, uh, that's obviously the best scene in the entire movie, the one you just referenced, the Mexico scene. Um, But I will also say that I did enjoy the scene where he he meets Mr. White in the basement um, I just thought that was, um, I think the moment that was, that was a moment where, where the pieces start falling together and the way it was shot and, and him walking into that building and seeing all the destruction and coming down into the basement and, and just kind of the way that scene played out, I thought it actually had some weight to it. And it was one of the few scenes that actually like really moved the story forward and you felt like you were getting actual exposition and actual uh, character references and, de- and some sort of level of development. Uh, so that, I think that was a standout scene for me. Yeah. I definitely need to rewatch the movie again sometime soon, because like I said, I don't remember most of it <laughs> because it's, it was just forgettable. Very. I'll give one more that I thought was a pretty strong scene. And that was the one in Rome. After he kills the after he kills the guy in Mexico City, uh, you find out that he gets the uh, video message from M saying, "Hey, go after this guy, kill him, and then see who shows up at his funeral." So Bond shows up at this guy's funeral in Rome, and he meets his ex-wife, who's about ready to be executed. Uh, but then Bond shows up at the organization at the Spectre organizational meeting. And there's just an element of danger to it. Uh, there's this large conference table, this giant spanning conference table, and the head of the organization is held in shadow. And, and there's just a sense of this impending large organization, this visceral bad guy, and this menace that's just operating in the shadows. And then at one moment, he turns and references 
the head of the organization turns and references Bond, knows that he's there watching in the gallery. And it's just such a cool moment. And then uh, the establishment of this authority figure from the bad guy, that this is going to be the guy you've got to deal with. And then it just <laughs> like, and then his character just went downhill from there. But that scene yeah. did a great job of setting up what was potentially a really, really um, fully developed bad guy. It just never came off after that. Yeah. One of my frustrations, biggest frustrations with the movie, I think is that they did not utilize um, him nearly well enough as the bad guy because yeah. such a good actor and they, they just didn't develop mm-hmm. in my opinion, the way it should have. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Especially when you're having him play like one of the archetypal archetypal James Bond villains. Mm-hmm. Like he should be, there should be more to him than there was, I thought. Yeah. And it starts off with this broad, like head of this big organization. And then it gets, becomes so small by the end that it just doesn't, it doesn't work. All right. Well, that is our recap of the previous Daniel Craig movie. So let's move on to the new one. What are you expecting from No Time to Die? And what are you looking forward to? So we'll kind of throw those two back and forth. And this is kind of our preview of the movie as to what we're hoping for. What are we expecting? How's this going to play out? I have intentionally not watched a ton of stuff about this movie ahead of time, but I have seen a couple trailers and um when I was at the theater this week, I saw during the pre-show, like 20 minute thing that they do, there was a little featurette on some of how it was shot and seeing some of the scenes from that makes me hopeful that it'll maybe rise close to the level of a Skyfall type movie with how it looks visually, because it seems that there are some real positive and inspiring settings in the movie and some good story that is pushed by the visuals. So we'll see how that goes, but that's my hope that it'll be more towards that than towards Spectre. Yeah. Uh, What I find interesting in this one is that they're bringing back Madeline, Lea Seydoux's character, Madeline, and she's going to be a big part of what happens in this movie. And this is unusual for Bond to bring back one of the female characters from a second movie. What I hope that brings out is that they're really going to develop her character uh, substantially more. Um, I never quite felt like um, the connection between her and Bond uh, never quite rose to the level you saw in Casino Royale. For example, it didn't quite match that. So bringing her back for a second movie, I'm hoping that they really, really work on that and you really get a better sense of her character and her connection with Bond and that that provides a real heart for the movie in the way that um, some of the other Bonds have lacked and and the ways that we've really made us love like Casino Royale or Skyfall, that there's that there's actual stakes to a relationship for bond. I think that makes him a better character and I think that makes a better movie. So I'm hoping they go that direction. I'm also really excited to see um, Rami Malek just in another kind of role, because I feel like everything he's done, he has pretty well succeeded at um, doing. So 
I think this might be the first time that he's like the outright complete villain character. So I'm very fascinated to see how that plays into his personality and um, his acting style. Yeah, I agree. I've, I've liked Malik and almost everything he's done. I haven't seen a ton of range from him and it will be interesting to see how he embraces this role. I think that he definitely has the potential to be a fantastic villain. Um, and part of that always depends on the writing. Um, Javier Bardem is obviously in a number of movies, a fantastic villain. If you give him the right thing, he will execute it. And I'm hoping that Malik can pull that off himself. Um, I think there's the potential there for it. Yeah, I think the disaffected, detached, iRobot personality of his taken to an extreme degree could be a pretty disturbing, scary villain character, without a doubt. Yeah, and he's got the eyes. He's got the disturbing eyes already as part of his like his feature. He's He's got these yeah. big, bold eyes. I think that can really lend him, lend itself to to playing a villain. Definitely. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping that we get um, visuals rising to the level of Skyfall. I, I'm really hoping that they're able to capture some of that. Um, Bond is often known for the, for um, some great scenes, some great action scenes, but the, just the visual appeal as he's traveling around the world, I'm hoping we get some, Give me at least one legendary scene that we can look back on and say that was incredible. Even yeah. Spectre gave us at least one scene that did that. Um, I'm hoping that this movie will deliver in that in that way. Um, I'm also hoping that I'm wondering because we know this is Daniel Craig's last Bond movie. I'm wondering how if they're if there's going to be any sort of sign off moment, even though the Bond character, of course, will continue. I'm wondering if there's going to be some sort of like wink and nod to the fact that this is Craig's last Bond movie. I'm curious as to how they're going to kind of end the movie, knowing that this is his last one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that there was almost kind of a moment like that in previous movie when they weren't 100 percent sure he was. Yeah, going to come back or not? So, mm -hmm. so I guess we'll see if they do something similar again. All right. Well, that's coming out in theaters, and make sure you check that out this week. Um, let's do since we don't have a ton of time. Let's do our watch list, and let's just pick one, pick one movie, sure. and uh, and go. That works for me because I only saw one movie. So. <laughs> so, Rob, what movie did you see this week? I went and saw Dear Evan Hansen in the theater, and. Okay. Uh, uh, if you're a fan of musicals, you need to go see this movie. If you're an emotional person, go see this movie. Um, <laughs> I, I was glad I had the road to myself because uh, I'm unashamed to admit that I cried a lot because I am an emotional person and <laughs> I was having an emotional day on top of everything. And just it was a perfect storm. And uh, the, the music is fantastic in the musical and for um translated very well to the screen uh you had wondered uh how much music there would be in it mm -hmm. like because it's hard it's really hard to tell from a trailer sometimes yeah. <laughs> like what exactly so uh i i think all but three songs from the musical are in the movie in their entirety 
Okay. So, um, but it, there are also moments in the movie where you're kind of like, you kind of forget that it's a musical for a little bit because there's a fair amount of dialogue too. The movie is two and a half hours long. So it's, okay. it's, uh, it is like seeing the show basically, but as a movie. And I, I, I do think the ones that they cut, the songs that they cut out were explained pretty well by the dialogue and action that actually happened in the movie. So I, I think they were decent choices to not include them. Um, but, uh, Ben Platt, the the guy who plays Evan Hansen, is fantastic. He he is the person who played him in the show on Broadway, mm. and uh, he does a really good job of acting on the screen as well. So, I definitely recommend it if you want to see a good movie. There's definitely some real sadness in it, but it's got an uplifting message and an encouragement that we're not alone is the main theme behind the movie. So, dear Evan Hansen. Uh, recommended. Okay, excellent. Uh, I got to see Venom, and since I know you haven't seen this one yet, I will. I will be a little bit circumspect in my comments. Um, first of all, overall, I thought it's definitely worth seeing, and it is worth um, the price of admission. The thing that made the first one work is the interplay between Tom Hardy and Venom between those two and the kind of the kind of fight back and forth and struggle for control and the dialogue back and forth between the two of them is really what made the first movie work. You get that again with uh, the, the second Venom movie. What I think a lot of movies struggle with, a lot of second movies struggle with is what to do with the characters because you spend the first movie building up the characters. So there's a lot of character development And then what do you do with them? I think some of the character development elements of Venom fell a little bit flat. Um, The movie was only an hour and 37 minutes long. It's rare that you get a non-comedy movie that's that short. Um, As a result, I think it shortchanged some of the elements uh, of the movie. There's there's one one of the plot points is that there is a there's kind of a fight between Venom and Tom Hardy. I think they shortchanged that a little bit. Um, there were some elements about uh, Woody Harrelson's character that I felt were underdeveloped. Um, and it could have used another, even another 10 minutes to a, to elaborate on a couple of those things here that because the movie was so short, they just kind of left it go. Um, but there is a mid credit scene that really, really changes the stakes and 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 situates Venom within the realm of the comic book universe. So if you go see Venom, make sure that you observe that particular that particular scene and stay there. Right. For that. Okay, well, uh, we're going to close out today with recommendations and we're going to recommend another Daniel Craig movie, not Bond related for you to check out. Uh, so, Rob, what'd you come up with? Uh, well, I think the obvious answer is this little movie that came out a few years ago, uh, Star Wars The Force Awakens, <laughs> where Daniel Craig is an uncredited stormtrooper <laughs> in the torture scene. <laughs> that was a great that, cameo. Absolutely really hilarious when I found that out, because obviously you never see his face. No. And you hear his voice, and I was like, what? what, what? But that's is that, it. Is that James Bond? <laughs> James Bond. 
Um, but yeah, I guess for my real recommendation, I'm going to go with the kid in King Arthur's court from 1995. <laughs> Just because seeing Daniel Craig that young, this fully blonde hair in a bowl cut, uh, as kind of a bad guy is just hilarious to me because I'm just so used to him as James Bond that when I saw him the first time, I was like, I didn't even realize this guy was acting in 1995. What in the world? I know, right? In the world. And in a movie like this, <laughs> like, it's just, it's hilarious. Uh-huh. Uh, I was going to go with uh, Tomb Raider 2, Cradle of Life, but I decided not to, not to go that direction. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go with Logan Lucky. Yeah. Logan Lucky is a fantastic heist film. And and Daniel Craig plays Joe Bang, who is incarcerated. Incarcerated. <laughs> <laughs> and they break him out of jail to help him pull off this heist. And his character is is so like like classically southern hick. It's it's great. I, I love his character in this in this film and his kind of roguish nature. Uh, he plays it so well, and and he's acted very, very well in this in this film. It's a fun character. I mean, obviously, neither of us said Knives Out because it's too obvious. It is too obvious. Because we've talked a lot about Knives Out on this podcast already. I know. And the same with Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. That's been yeah. mentioned more than a few times. Yeah. So. All right. Well, that is the show, everyone. Make sure you go check out Bond, but also check out filmforfans.com. I'm hopeful that if I have time, I'm going to do a breakdown of some of the visual scenes of Skyfall for you. And mm. we'll also have a, a write-up on a review for uh, No Time to Die. Uh, also, you can expect an instant reaction podcast up tomorrow morning uh, based on our reactions to the initial watching of No Time to Die. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast and check out filmforfans.com. We have great content for you there. Until next time, enjoy the movies.